What is up, Internet? Welcome to the Devil's Advocate for Self-Defense podcast, episode 39. What is up, listeners? Welcome to the episode. Today, I have my friend Malcolm Rivers on the show. We are here to debate a, I want to say topical, but it happened like two weeks ago. I'm really behind the eight ball on this, trying to get this out topically, but scheduling is brutal. Uh, We've realized that internet is a finite resource now, and so we can't quite do things when we need to do them. How this show works, super simply. Maybe you know who Malcolm is, you're supporting him, and you have no idea who I am. The way this show works, very simply, is Malcolm and I have chosen a debate topic ahead of time. We then decided what side of that debate we're going to take. I say debate, you might be hearing arguments. So when I say debate, what I mean is we're going to just be trying to prove our points for the topic side that we've chosen. We're not going to be talking about our feelings or sometimes our opinions or any of that situation. The goal of a debate is to prove that the topic is correct. So in order to make that happen, the show has a few rules. Rule number one, very simply is, we start as friends, we leave as friends. I do not want this to become a internet hate place where like we talk and then nobody comes on the show again. Number two is there's 15 logic fallacies that I sent ahead of time to Malcolm. If you'd like to know what those are, go to episode one. I walk them all out individually. And uh, if we get caught in a fallacy, you have to admit, number one, you're in the fallacy. So we're going to take a breath. We're going to say, sorry, I use circular logic in that fallacy, Malcolm. I apologize. And then you're going to toss a compliment out across the board. Malcolm, that goatee is dope. So going forward with that, we do the compliment. I really like it, actually. So we're going forward with it. And uh, then you also have to secede your turn. The debate is 20 minutes long for the free show. And then, of course, as always, there's a Patreon portion of this that I put behind the paywall. That is called Final Thoughts, where we actually talk about our actual thoughts and feelings on the topic, not just trying to um, express the debate. Malcolm will have up to four minutes to set the debate up in the manner he chooses, and then I will do a counterpoint. We will go back and forth, and then we're good to go. If you uh, understand the show, hopefully, sometimes they'll come across not great because I'm taking the wrong side of the debate. Understand that, again, it's only trying to win the debate. It is not trying to give my opinion or change your mind. The whole point of this show is make up your own mind on things, okay? I'm going to give you a side. He's going to give you a side. Make up your own mind on what side you like, preferably. So, Malcolm, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Hey, guys. My name is Malcolm Rivers. I am one-fourth of the Chiron training team. We form like Voltron on a regular basis to do self-defense instruction. I also work with Nova Self-Defense and on my own. This is an area that I've been you know, examining pretty much my whole life. And it's really something that I think is important, not just for protecting one's life, but also for enhancing one's life, which I think is really the goal of really, really good self-protection. Malcolm, if you are ready to go, the topic is, and I'm going to phrase this the way that I have it on the message. If you want to change that or adapt it, feel free. Is MMA the most effective slash efficient way to learn self-defense? Yes? Yes. Awesome. And we're tagging this to the social media keyword that I'm going to add to this, which is uh, this comes because I put up an opinion, shocking, on the internet, also shocking, about a situation that happened to an MMA fighter named Anthony Smith. 
Um, if you don't know who Anthony Smith is, he fought John Jones, which is like, though arguably not morally, but physically the best MMA artist on the planet. He went there and he gave him the hardest time he ever had. So a very talented person had his home invaded and he gave a very honest uh, depiction, actually way more honest than he needed to be about what happened. So he said it was the hardest fight he ever had or one of, he mentioned a bunch of factors. And so we decided to have this debate on, well, is MMA really the effective way to go? Malcolm, what side of this debate are you taking? I am taking the affirmative, meaning that I am supporting the position that MMA is the most effective and efficient way to produce the necessary skills to defend oneself. Cool. And so by default, Devil's Advocate podcast, I'm the Devil's Advocate, and I'm going to take the opposite side, which luckily is the side I kind of make money on. So uh, that's a lot easier for me than normal. What we're going to do is we're going to start the clock here. Malcolm, you have up to four minutes. I'll cut you off if you go over to frame the debate in the way you wish. Go. Mixed martial arts is a platform that is ubiquitous. Many, many people are familiar with it. And it is a worldwide phenomenon at this point, both from a marketing standpoint and an athletic standpoint. Since there is a wide degree or a wide base upon which mixed martial arts is built in terms of just the number of eyes, it is very easy for people to access it. Popularity and ubiquity is very significant. So the first piece of making MMA the most efficient and effective way to produce self-defense is it actually is there. If I have a place where there are the only self-defense school is teaching me something that I would consider to be ineffective or I don't have any frame of reference on, mixed martial arts is likely it's somewhere in this area. Generally, I'm gonna be able to find it. So number one is availability because nothing can be effective if it's not available. I can't use what isn't there. Number two, mixed martial arts takes into account every range of physical confrontation, with the exception of long distance, meaning firearms or projectiles. Obviously, if you don't have a projectile, that cannot be addressed. But it does address a wide variety of circumstances on the ground, uh, standing up in, in a clinch or, or wrapped or entangled, as some people would consider it. And it incorporates striking, grappling, takedown slash throws, joint locks or breaks, depending on what your attitude is. And so it's got a very wide range of things. Now, some people would argue it's a jack of all trades and master of none. However, I would much rather be solid in a wide range of things than completely deficient in something that could be significant. Because I can be the best stand-up fighter in the world, but if I trip, like people tend to do when they're fighting in the real world, I am going to be in bad shape. So the fact that you've got this wide range of aspects covered is a really strong point. So first, availability. Second is the broad range of topics covered. And then third is energy. The very simple reality is this. If I train against people who don't want to hurt me, it is very good for me to get used to the idea that someone will not hit me hard. I would much rather have an imperfect methodology that involves me dealing with impact and dealing with all of those ranges and that's available to me than something that is amazing and perfect but I don't ever develop the confidence and I don't ever develop the resilience necessary to take a really nice sized punch on my chin have sparks fly and still be able to continue to fight so in summary 
availability, because MMA is everywhere, broad range of topics covered, because it covers every engagement distance with the exception of projectile, and finally, because it forces me to engage with contact, which is the very nature of a physical altercation. There's going to be contact. I need to be used to contact. I need to be used to fighting through contact and pain and damage and potential hazard to be able to defend myself. Because chances are, if I'm going to be ambushed, the first thing I'm going to get is, you guessed it, contact. I agree with that. So I agree with uh, everything you said there. Obviously, it's very smart. Availability, I think, is your shakiest point because the debate is, I would say you have availability to both of what is the more effective way. So it's shaky at best, but I, I don't disagree with it. And it's a good point. I started in Taekwondo because Taekwondo was the closest thing to my house that I started with. Right. And mm-hmm. even it's giving you access to maybe portals to other places, but it's not my job to agree with you. It's my job to debate. So uh, on my end of things, I'm going to say that it's not as effective. And the three areas I'm going to base my d- defense of this on are number one, the adrenaline mitigation you get from MMA is incorrect. It deals with the slow response type of adrenaline, not the quick dump you're going to get in a real life situation. So the patterns you're getting are based off of knowing when the fight is going to happen, learning how to control slow trickle, which is important. But in the case of this Anthony Johnson situation, it was, that was one of the major factors. Number two, I really want to argue that sports aim is always symmetry. People about the same level, people the same weight class, people that's going to make it a good fight. And I'm going to say that self-defense is very often asymmetrical in the way that I don't get to choose how big the opponent is, if they have weapons, if they're going. So yeah, I might get contact, but that contact might be here. I'm used to one, but then two or three other people are involved. Last but not least, I want to say that the targeting for MMA is inappropriate for self-defense. The targeting is based off of uh, the fight going for a decent amount of time. Nobody wants, people were arguing that Ronda Rousey was finishing fights too fast, which is an insane thought process for self-defense and should not be part of it. The other thing is that the targets that are chosen are based on the safety of the fighter taking the damage for repeatability of the person to fight. So my counterpoints are adrenaline mitigation is incorrect, not not useful, just not in, just incorrect. Uh, it aims for symmetry, which most self-defense situations are not symmetrical, and uh, the targeting is incorrect for what we need to accomplish when it comes to self-defense situation. Again, a fight ending too fast is kind of the goal. So I'm going to really quickly. I'll actually Malcolm, let you talk. Go ahead. Okay, good points. Uh, I think a lot of what you say is reasonable. My counter to the adrenalization aspect is you're right, there is a slow creep adrenaline, but for example, your adrenal level is going to change if in the midst of your training session, for example, somebody gets a really good shot in, and now you're on the ground being crushed by however many hundred pounds of force, and your first time or first couple of times, that is going to be a significant adjustment. And so there's going to be a higher level of adrenaline there, especially at the outset. Every time you get introduced to a new discipline and you're put in there with someone who has the intention of putting hands and feet on you, there's going to be a spike because the slow creep is in the buildup. Where I might see the spike is the first time I take the shot and and it hurts and I'm dazed and I'm trying to figure out where I am because I'm not sure I signed up for this. 
Sure. So there are going to be those moments, those, uh, those puckering moments on a consistent basis, especially during the first year. So I think the adrenalization point is well taken. I would counter that for early MMA students, and this is predominantly who's going to be taking it for self-defense purposes, the spike of adrenalization is going to be a, a routine. Granted, there'll be slow creep and spike, which suggests that they'll actually, it'll actually end up being better because I've got the slow creep of knowing I'm going to a place where someone's going to punch me in the face and I'm not going to like it and maybe not really be able to do much about it other than figure out how to survive it and the actual spike when I do get hit in the face because I think I know what getting hit in the face feels like until it actually happens and suddenly I've got that, 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 that frozen uh, moment. To the symmetry. I'd like to stay I, on this point for a second, if that's okay. So go, go. Uh, I'm going to disagree. Uh, shocking. So um, <laughs> what? On a debate show? So I disagree in the fact that we have to remember that adrenaline is a finite source. That's why adrenaline fatigue happens. So mm -hmm. yes, you might be getting the spikes, but the spikes are not the spike you're going to hit when you get suddenly ambushed because you've already burned some of the adrenaline on the drive to the gym. It's the same argument people use with counter ambush training. You can't really train counter ambush in a class called counter ambush because you're expected <laughs> to get ambushed. It's very hard to do. So I, while I agree, yes, it is good to do both and it definitely is. I don't, I don't think the spike you get on the mats where you can look at the clock and be like, okay, only two more minutes is even comparable to the unknown situation of an ambush. That is a good point. I also think that the that MMA training and self-defense training actually suffer suffer in the same way. You, you, you actually made a point that I think is very salient, which is I know I'm going to this place where there's a possibility of being ambushed. Yeah. And if I am a, a if I'm dealing with an instructor who feels an ethical call to let me know what I am potentially in for, surprise is impossible. Yeah. which means I'm never going to get those spikes outside of my instructor really taking it upon themselves to find me at the grocery store and pop out with a training knife. Those spikes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those spikes are, are very, very difficult to create and replicate. Also keeping in mind that I am not dumb internally. I know that this is fake. I know that if I start bleeding profusely, this person is going to stop and they're going to run over and they're going to patch me up. Whereas in a, in an MMA training environment, for example, uh, we, if you watch a decent number of MMA fights, there is, while it is facial bleeding, it's still bleeding significant amounts of blood all over everybody's chest and so on and so forth that goes on and nobody stops it unless a doctor stops it. So you have instances where I can have a degree of, of that spike because it might be the first time I've seen my own blood from, uh, from someone else hitting me. Sure, but that's that's a false uh, a false comparison because you're talking about the actual competition of MMA. So we're implying the student's going to compete in a training facility. They will be stopped equally for that amount of bleeding at the same time they would in a reality based gym. Fair enough. I will I will accept that that is a stretch. <laughs> okay, cool. Next point. <laughs> um, to symmetry. Yeah, I have uh one name, a whole bunch of syllables. Wanderlei Silva. Okay. Then I don't know if it's Wanderlei or Vanderlei. Um, it's anyway. Wanderlei, I think. Wanderlei. So the, uh, for those who don't know who he is, he is a, a legendary um, MMA athlete who was uh, very famous for his tenure in Pride Fighting Championship over in Japan. And 
he was known for competing well above his weight class. And I know that, I mean, this is personal anecdote, so take this with a grain of salt, but I know that there are plenty of MMA gyms where people consistently mix it up with people who are significantly bigger. One of my introductions to MMA training was fighting somebody who was a full hundred pounds heavier than me in a training context, which was as much fun as it sounds like. And <laughs> that happens enough, especially in a context where you have a somewhat competitive MMA gym that's concerned about competing. Now, the student doesn't have to be competing, but they might be, for example, if you're training a fighter, you might need five people to go rounds with this fighter to keep the fighter working. And I might be one of them, even if there's a significant weight disparity. And I think there's a good amount of evidence on YouTube and you know, various places on the internet where you see a lower degree of symmetry than one would expect from a uh, from a training environment that has weight classes. Yep. So people end up going against somebody heavier or bigger. Uh, you know what? I'm going to agree with that so much because I can't at one point say you can't talk about competition and then enforce competition on my side. I'm going to pull the symmetry point off the table. Copy that. All right. To the targeting point that you made, there is a wide variety of data supporting the idea that various targets work better or worse for stopping people from engaging in uh, violent behavior. So, for example, one of the targets supported by uh, uh, a well-known self-defense trainer who, with whom we're both familiar um, is the cupped hand blown to the ear. And now, this let me know if I'm straying into competition here. Sure, I definitely will. Um, but there is an instance where uh, Anderson Silva is competing with Chael Sonnen, and they are wrapped up on the ground, and Chael Sonnen slapping Anderson's ears, and at no point is it called a foul. To my knowledge, no fight isn't stopped, which supports the idea that that is a possible blow. Additionally, one of the few things that works on uh, EDPs, on emotionally disturbed persons, for those who aren't aware, uh, folks on, on various bath salts, PCP, whatever sort of drugs, is vascular restraints. Mm -hmm. And MMA has a high number of vascular restraints, which suggests that targeting can be an issue in that eye pokes are out, groin shots are out, but at the same time, there's still a decent variety of things that mechanically work. For example, a blown out knee is a blown out knee no matter where it happens. So if it's from, um, so if it happens in the context of training where someone has an oblique kick and they aim a little bit low and the knee is blown out, the targeting is not off enough that it would potentially compromise the value. But then you've got stuff that's designed to do exactly what we want it to do, like vascular restraints, like certain forms of joint locks that turn into joint breaks. Because if I can pop your shoulder so badly that you can't use this arm, no matter what context we're in, that is going to be useful. So I think the targeting is a, a point well taken. I do, however, think that there's enough carryover with the targeting uh, concerns that it would still be valuable. As a follow-up, real quick, on yeah. Wednesday. That's As a follow-up, um, the thing that also makes up for the ineffective targeting or potentially ineffective or less effective targeting is the consistency and the duress that students are put under when they use these things. Sure. So if I can use a vascular restraint while someone is sincerely trying to punch me in the face, that's much more useful than my way too deadly for the ring move that I can never actually try while someone tries to hurt me or stop me. 
Agreed. And that's going to definitely bleed over to your energy point, which I want to get to. So number mm-hmm. one, uh, you are um, implying or assuming that reality-based self-defense isn't teaching vascular restraints. So, right? I, I, that's, that's a good point because we haven't set the, the right. foundation of, there are some self, reality-based self-defense methods that don't teach vascular restraints. Correct. Um, but I think the, the question is, if we're teaching vascular restraints, which which environment is sinc- is teaching it in a context where someone will sincerely try to stop you and sure. just either because of discomfort or because right. you've achieved the technique where you will have to either make the person believe they're going to go to sleep or actually go to sleep. That tends to happen much more in competitive environments because some self-defense classes end up being so cooperative that it might not work, but I'm still going to just, you know, tap the guy on his arm. I agree. I think this might be a little, I'm not going to call you on the uh, fallacy, but I think we might be a little red herring here a bit because we're now, that's more of a debate of pressure testing as, and drill management as opposed to system or style, I would say. But uh, I take the point. I do understand what you're saying. The other thing I wanted to say before we get to energy is, uh, we should still have time. Yeah, I'll be short. Is, uh, so yeah, you quoted, you used the uh, Chael Sonnen hitting the ear thing. But that's mm-hmm. the exception, not the rule. And that would not be a technique that is taught. That was Chael Sonnen adding Chael Sonnen into the fight. That was not Chael Sonnen's coach training coming out in the fight. So those are different things. What's, and a lot of, I can't say a lot of, in my experience, people mm-hmm. will mostly do what the coach allows to do and they won't go out of it for fear of making the coach upset. Chael Sonnen, I'm sure, does not suffer from that. But I, especially as a wrestler and just by his personality and his fights, he's, he's more of a like, let's do something and see if the ref sees uh, mm. type. And that's good. But I don't think that came from the MMA training. I think that's a Chael Sonnen only trait, not from, I don't think Greg Jackson, whoever he trained, was like, and cup his ears. I don't think that was implied <laughs> in the training. It, that is entirely possible. Um, I think from the targeting standpoint, that, that was more of sort of an anecdote to yeah, support sure. the idea that there is crossover and additionally a lot of the stuff that we see work most consistently exists across the board yeah so oblique kicks exist across the board in that they if someone lands their foot the wrong way or even the right way they you've got a severe hyperextension potential for for very significant damage i also think from a targeting standpoint if if MMA targeting is as ineffective as it is sometimes represented, not saying you represent it as such, but mm. as others might. I um, am right now, for sure. <laughs> for now, for now, that's fair. Um, the injury rate would not be as high as it is, even with all of the all of the other safeties added in. Sure. So if you've got a whole bunch of people who are getting hurt, and in some cases being pretty badly hurt and not really having it noticed right. until later on, like when you get to the hospital, you find out that you actually broke your orbital socket. Or yeah. um, that, that there's a solid amount of targeting going on, but there is, there's just the human will to persist because really the only way you can stop a person without convincing them, making them go to sleep or shutting off the computer yeah. is breaking all their long bones. Right. So in theory, they could persist either way. So I think, and I agree with that, but I would like to speak to the aftermath of an injury in an MMA gym. They don't yeah. celebrate you broke somebody's knee. You get punished for doing the attack incorrectly. You hurt a student. That is not the rule. So while it might be successful, the conditioning they receive after will program in their head that they shouldn't do something like that. That is a good point. 
I think conditioning is is one of the things we should talk about because we got a minute. <laughs> we can talk oh, about yeah, the final yeah, thoughts. Right, so it's gonna be yeah. fast. It's gonna be fast. Go. All right. Um, MMA folk are con- people in MMA gyms are, gyms are conditioned to not just accept contact, but to accept it as just a day to day reality. Mm-hmm. So they are m- less likely by their conditioning of accepting contact to recognize contact as not the end of the world because most fights altercations what have you are lost on the mental level so if i can condition myself past pain and fear it's or fear of contact it's easier for me to actually deal with a sudden assault because i'm not going to lose my head so counterpoint on that then we're done unfortunately this has been super fun actually it's been a great one uh yes they are conditioned to accept force to the level they're allowed to leave it whenever they choose they're allowed to tap they're allowed to quit. They're allowed to do other things that will stop it. So yes, they're conditioned that contact is common. I'll let you get another minute. Don't worry, Malcolm. Okay, they're yeah. conditioned to uh, say it's common, but they're also conditioned that when I don't want this anymore, it's over now. And that is not a self-defense case. Granted, I also think that they are conditioned against tapping. Why? Because you tap, you lost. You sure, tap, okay. you don't get as much money. You tap, or we're not talking about, forget competition. Sorry. Yeah. You tap, you lost in front of people whose esteem you are concerned about. So your coach saw you give up. Sure. You are going to have a, you are going to walk away with less serotonin in your system than if you hadn't tapped or you had been the one tapping someone else. Excellent, excellent point. And I want to, we're going to do this on final thoughts and debates over. This was, this was a really good one, Malcolm. I had a really good time on this. It was very good back and forth. All right, everybody. That's the end of the free show. Sorry. There has, sorry, a Canadian debut. Sorry, there hasn't been a debate in so long. Uh, Legitimately, I didn't have the energy to argue when my business was falling apart. So I did a show that we do funny things. And now we have the Randy King Live podcast channel, which is we do interviews and the debate and the funny stories. There's so many lessons to be learned from all these different debates, but also hearing anecdotal stories of professionals messing up is a great way to learn as well. So if you haven't checked out the WTF yet, feel free. I'm bringing on Richard Dimitri because he just released this amazing, amazing website called Study of Violence with five totally free online courses. Um, I'm going to have him and Pamela Armitage. She was the co-founder of it. They're going to be the first interview one, so expect that coming. Don't forget there's still 38 other debates. And, uh, of course, we have the WTF podcast. So thank you so much. Join us over on Final Thoughts. Uh, on the Patreon level, $5. And again, the little switch on the $5 level, you're also getting lessons learned and what I'm calling after eight because I love that mint. After eight is going to be the eight questions I ask to interview people after the topic is done on the free show. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully you have even one third of the fun I had on this topic. I think you're really going to like this one. Malcolm, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything you'd like to promote to the people out there before we go to paid? Um... Yeah, so shameless plug, uh, the Chiron uh, Patreon page has been really going well. We've got a lot of great content coming out, videos, articles, etc. Also, we've got a very, very lively group um, in our uh, Chiron Patrons Facebook group, and we have a lot of great discussions and examine things from different lenses, and we have Zoom calls where you get to talk to the directors, and we basically just sit down and discuss something topical or just hang out and enjoy adult beverages. So <laughs> since you're bored, probably, unless, unless you've got a very narrow range of jobs, since you may have a little bit more time out there, uh, feel free to join us. 
outside of the shameless plug thing, um, use this as an opportunity. This sucks. There's a lot of rough stuff going on. And this is the ultimate life rep. This is a chance, if you can reframe it as a game and an opportunity to grow stronger, it doesn't have to just be something different. So please use this as an opportunity, find reasons to laugh, keep fighting. And on the end of this, you can say you beat an absolutely global opponent, that being an actual factual pandemic. Yeah. You may not have gotten in a fight with a 300 pound guy, but you did fight a pandemic. <laughs> Awesome, everyone. Hope to see you over on Final Thoughts, and we'll see you soon.